0: This is Perspectives on Justice. We look at the most current and controversial issues in the U.S. justice system. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr., and I invite you to join me in exploring how the scales of justice are balanced, criminally, socially, and ethically. You are listening to Perspectives on Justice. The disproportionate effect of COVID-19 on Black and brown communities in some high-income countries, such as the United States, throws into sharp relief the effects of racism on health. On almost all health measures, ethnic minority groups, especially people of Black and South Asian descent, have the worst outcomes. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Black people with COVID-19 are nearly four times more likely to be hospitalized than white patients, and almost three times more likely to succumb to the virus. However, the COVID-19 pandemic is just one example the effects of racism and social determinants of health are intertwined. Racism both shapes social determinants of health and has its own effect on the health of ethnic minorities. To understand race and health, we must understand the role of ethnicity and racism within modern societies. Everyday acts of interpersonal discrimination, implicit biases, cultural and structural racism will over time lead to worse health outcomes, including higher rates of chronic diseases and lower life expectancy. In the words of Dr. Monique Gary, a leading Black surgeon in The Reason, quote, it matters when we have a seat at the table because we can broaden the table and create opportunity. Joining us today on this special episode of Perspectives on Justice, we have with us first uh, Dr. Joseph Wright. Dr. Wright is the Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Capital Region Health in the University of Maryland Medical System. Most recently, Dr. Wright co-authored an article entitled Racism as a Public Health Issue and Racism Series at the Intersection of Equity, Science and Social Justice. Dr. Wright, welcome to the show Perspectives on Justice. Thank you, Judge Williams. Pleasure to be here. We are also joined by Dr. George Askew the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Health, Human Services, and Education in Prince George's County, Maryland. Prior to coming to Prince George's County, Dr. Askew served as the first Chief Medical Officer for the Administration for Children and Families at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So, Dr. Askew, welcome to Perspectives on Justice. Judge Williams, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you this uh, today. All right, uh, let's jump right into it. This is an exciting episode on health disparities in Black and Brown communities. Let me start off with uh, uh, Dr. Wright. Uh, I'd ask you this uh, question, dealing with semantics: Why it is important for us to use Black and Brown? when we are referring to our communities rather than the term most people use, minority?
1: Yes, Judge, um, uh, words matter. And uh, the semantic, if you will, around the use of the word minority is one which has historically been used as a term to uh, confer uh, supremacy or um, a, uh, a hierarchy. And certainly uh, Dr. Askew and I are both pediatricians, by the way, we recognize that in the United States, for the population under the age of 18, uh, that population is already comprised primarily of black and brown children. So the utility of a term like minority even demographically uh, is obsolete. Here in the state of Maryland, where the population for non-Hispanic whites is 49%, we are among five states in the union that have already clicked over to be predominantly communities of color collectively. So when we talk about terminology, I I, I think it's important to define uh, who we're talking about and, and really to move away from the pejorative use of a term that has been really an assignment term by uh, those who would would uh, classify groups of people by use of the term minority judge.
0: Uh, doctor, ask you: Do you have anything to add on this uh, issue of stematics?
2: Well, and I, I would say, in, in a practical sense, it does uh, an injustice to to black and brown people in that when you have a community such as Prince George's County, where we are majority black and brown, um, and and actually a, a relatively affluent black and brown community, you might make the mistake of thinking, well, that community is gonna be perfectly fine because of affluence and being the, being in the majority. Uh, Well, that doesn't get rid of race and racism and the impact of growing up black and brown in this country. The structural and historical racism uh, has an impact on your health and well-being as a black and brown person, whether or not you're in the majority, the minority, however you define it. um, There are issues that that follow you um, through the lifespan that, uh, you know, each and every day, uh, you know, I must like chip away at your at your health and well-being.
0: Great, great. Now, uh, staying with you, Dr. Uh, Askew, uh, I've heard this term gener- "generational trauma," and uh, just wondering uh, how generational trauma affects the health of uh, Black and Indigenous uh, and people of color today.
2: Yeah, it's um, the uh, it's a multi generational trauma, um, but it becomes cyclical. Um, and you, it's, it's, I guess the one way I like to think of is it's sort of like you, you, there's a hole that's dug, and you're trying to dig yourself out of that hole. Each generation has to start from within that hole, um, and just getting to the surface isn't enough to pull everybody up or pull the next generation, uh, the next generation up uh, in terms of uh, in, in terms of health and well-being. So that it becomes uh, a, a, it, it becomes cyclic. The next generation doesn't get an, enough of a step up, so that you actually make a, a big enough change. You know, this country is is set up in such a way that you can't have very big shifts uh, between generations and health and well-being and and economies. Um, In order to to make those big shifts uh, uh, between generations, you have to have a very disruptive process, a very disruptive plan. Um, We're wondering now if COVID has given us that sort of disruptive moment with respect to health and human services where we can achieve, what I like to say is achieving um, uh, accelerating the future so that we don't have to wait two generations, we don't have to wait to 2060 to achieve the things we want to achieve. Let's take this moment now, this disruptive moment that is COVID and has changed the way uh, our world works and uh, accelerate that future, the future that you know Joe Wright and myself, we've been trying to achieve for the 20, 30, 35 years that we've been doing this work.
0: Uh, uh, Dr. Wright, uh, we've heard so much about generational trauma. You have any thoughts uh, to help us with?
1: Judge, I'll take it even a step further. Uh, What Dr. Askew has described in terms of the cyclical nature, uh, that uh, those elements of of poverty, generational um, inequities that we know so well, also have a physiologic uh, component to it. That um, really uh, comports itself across generations. We talk about a a, um, physiologic process called allostatic load, uh, meaning that when you're confronted with the perceived or real stress of racism, it creates stress on the body. And uh, being under that constant state of stress has impacts on. Our, our physiologic mechanisms and, and definitely uh, contributes to what we call weathering. So for an African-American man, for instance, um, being faced with a lifetime of, of perceived or actual racism actually uh, creates a physiologic weathering. And uh, what we're also recognizing is that for um, women of childbearing age, that, that, that weathering can actually be transmitted uh, in, in terms of the, the uh, DNA of the offspring of the subsequent generation. So all of that to say is that there is a sociologic impact, there's also physiologic impact that has borne itself out over generations in black and brown communities and, and has an effect uh, on the day-to-day lives that we live um, at the community level, but also has a direct impact on our health and health disparities that uh, we, we talk about and and are beginning to understand are much more deeply seated than previously recognized uh, in, in terms of our in terms of our health. Yeah, I want to
0: ask uh, Dr. Ask you a little about uh, this uh, stress that. We hear so much, uh, uh, Doctor. Uh, ask you: Do we take this stress issue uh, seriously enough? I think I, I think certainly from the from the academic
2: side, it's begin it, it, it's gaining traction, and so academics and scientists are paying closer attention to it. A lot of folks who are doing work in race and racism take it take it very very seriously. And as Doctor Wright has shown, uh, we now have the science to back it up. So when you talk about allostatic load, you can actually say we can actually pinpoint what's happening here when you have these 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 kinds of stressors, and it doesn't have to be big stressors. These can be normal. I wouldn't say normal. These can be everyday uh, everyday stressors, like you know. I always the, the example I use is you know if I'm standing in a line at Starbucks um, or another coffee place and uh, the bar- barista is, is looking the other way and someone who's white comes in and uh, stands next to me in line, and that barista looks up, and the first person they look at is the white person and says, may I help you, madam, or may I help you, sir? My blood pressure goes up because that person tuned into that white person, that white face, and I don't know if it's just because they thought that person was there first or if it's racism, and you know, so it's, it's, it can be something as small as that, but every day, you know, we all know, the, we all know the feeling. You walk into a restaurant in a town you don't know. You look around that room and the first thing you do is you look for a black face. You look for a brown face. If you see a black or brown face, you think that's a safe place to be. You don't see a black or brown face, your blood pressure goes up a little bit. You start to wonder, should I be in here? That's, our, that's, that's the reality of, of our everyday
0: life. And that, of course, uh, blood pressure and those kind of things are important. Uh, uh, Dr. Wright, how do we decrease the stress in our life?
1: Well, Judge, the first thing we have to do is is, is call it out. We have to recognize it. And not just for ourselves, but the situation that the the examples that Dr. Askew has just given are sometimes uh, put into this bucket of microaggressions. They happen to us every day, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's uh, uh, you're walking down the street and uh, somebody crosses the street to avoid you, or you cross the, uh, you're at the intersection and you hear the car door click as the doors are locked because you as a, a black or brown individual is crossing this in the crosswalk in front of them. These kinds of microaggressions are cumulative, as, as, as Dr. Askew said, but they have to be called out because those individuals who are exacting these behaviors uh, may be doing these things implicitly. This is part of their bias that they don't even, uh, they're not even aware of. And so part of the science that Dr. Askew has referenced is also about calling out uh, explicit and implicit bias. There is a, a whole generation of um, Uh, of young black and brown academics who are really examining the way that implicit bias is ingrained in um, in, in majority populations and those in the quote-unquote dominant group that don't even perceive. They are completely unaware of these transgressions that are enacted every day against black and brown people, no matter what your station is. And, and, and Judge, I think um, uh, one of the opportunities we have now, with so much of this uh, under the microscope and being examined, uh, your center, for instance, even discussing this today on a podcast really lays bare the impact, uh, the everyday impact. You know, it, it doesn't have to amount to an assault on the U.S. Capitol to have impact on black and brown communities. And and, and I think uh, at the individual level, we have to acknowledge it and recognize it, but also at the uh, level, uh, professional level in every walk of life, uh, every discipline, uh, this kind of behavior goes on and we just have to call it out for what it is, Judge. To and, and Judge, just to, to, to add a little, a little bit
2: more to that, you know, we often get the question, uh, particularly from white colleagues, white friends, white family, if you're, you know, mixed race families about, well, what can I do about it? I, you know, I, I can't change people's behavior. Well, there actually are small things you can do and some big things. And you take those examples that we gave, you know, what if somebody else in that Starbucks who saw what happened Said right away, hey, no, he was actually in first in line, or that other person who was who was pointed out said, no, this gentleman here was first, or if you know you're riding, you're a, you're a white person and you're riding in the car with this person who clicked the uh, who clicked the door shut. If you, you you start a conversation right there and say why did you why did you lock the doors all of a sudden? and have them, you know, you have to confront folks, you have to be intentional, and you have to be brave. You, you know, it's, it's not gonna be a popular conversation at Thanksgiving when you're telling Uncle Louie, you know, you really can't behave that way, Uncle Louie. You really have to understand what the issues are, and, uh, you know, that's where another way we can get some of our, our, our white colleagues um, to step up. And,
0: uh, you know, we can't do it all on our own, uh, to be honest. Well, we are talking to two experts in this area on the episode, Health Disparities in Black and Brown Communities. Uh, my guest uh, today, uh, first of all, is Dr. Joe Wright, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of the University of Maryland Capital Region Health Division, and affiliate. And we also have joining with us today Dr. George Askew, the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Health, Human Services, and Education in Prince George's County, Maryland. Now, uh, gentlemen, I want to uh, move to uh, a different topic, and we've heard so much about the social uh, uh, detriments of health. And uh, why do uh, they predominantly affect
1: black and brown communities? Uh, Dr. Wright, you want to start us off? Well, well, Judge, uh, I I know that you are a student of history, and we have had discussions about the uh, deeply embedded structural inequities that persist in the healthcare system, and how the uh, social determinants contribute to those the persistence of those inequities. And um, I, I, we we absolutely have to be students of history to understand that so many of the structural barriers and and systemic um, inequities were intentionally uh, planted, whether you talk about redlining and and the housing um, situation that um, has persisted uh, today in the way that housing segregation in this country is is realized. uh, I, I, rec- I recall, well, I don't recall the quote itself, but even before the term social determinants and disparities was part of our everyday lexicon, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said in 1966 that of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. So he recognized early on that the social determinants around housing, food insecurity, uh, uh, the transportation. Judge, I did not grow up in the Washington, D.C. area, but it doesn't take much to recognize how even the metro system was designed. And, and, and uh, until very recently, um, uh, not having a transportation line uh, into the southeast quadrant of the District of Columbia was something that I recognize as, as someone moving to the area. So, so Judge, I, I I think that the social determinants are deeply embedded. They are historically and intentionally um, uh, structured. And, and 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 frankly, we have to understand from once they were derived to be able to tear them down, and to overcome those uh, uh, those um, barriers that create social determinants. They, they certainly impact uh, uh, and, and influence health disparities for all the reasons that we've been talking about. Uh, Dr. Askew, I suspect uh, being
0: in Prince George's County, are you well aware of the social determinants that affected Black and brown people?
2: Absolutely. and And a lot of it has to do with sort of slowly over time, um, disinvestment, um, uh, in health and, and human services, um, and, and not recognizing, um, uh, the, the cost that the, the ultimate cost that you're going to have, uh, if you're not investing in, in the social determinants of health, as Joe was saying, housing, poverty, something is simple, well, I wouldn't say it's simple because it's very complicated. Uh, access to, to nutritious foods. You know, you can't get supermarkets to, to put a, put a foothold in black and brown neighborhoods. You can you know, you can get, you can get a fast food place to jump in. Um, and about, I think it's 60% of our, of our readily available food uh, is, is fast food here in the, here in the county. Um, the county executive is working very hard to bring in folks who will bring nutritious food to get rid of food deserts. It's, it's quite a challenge. We're, we're fighting against years and years and years of, of, uh, of, of this structural and historical racism and his, historical structures that don't allow that, um, that to happen. Um, but that's why I say we have to use this as a, as a disruptive, uh, as a disruptive moment, and move and move beyond sort of simple solutions, and really, uh, you know, I must want to say sort of tear the system apart and uh, and rebuild
0: it. <laughs> and uh, want to mention to our listeners, uh, Dr. Askew mentioned the county executive. We're talking about County Executive Angela also Brooks, who's just done a wonderful job addressing the health disparities issues in our county. Uh, now I mentioned. Uh, at the opening of the show, uh, COVID-19 and that uh, terrible virus that has affected so many people on a global uh, stage. So uh, I'm going to ask both of you, how has the COVID-19 deadly virus affected uh, black and brown communities uh, from a, a disproportionate standpoint? The so, Dr. Wright, you want
1: to lead us off? Yes, Judge. And uh, uh, we've been, uh, uh, as we sit here, We've been just about a year in this pandemic uh, in the United States, and, and Prince George's County, Maryland, has been uh, the epicenter of the state of Maryland in terms of the impact of, of the coronavirus um, uh, pandemic. And the, the impact has been profound. You described in your opening preamble the disproportionate impact on black and brown communities. And and it has been um, felt here. Uh, Dr. Askew and I live this every day. Um, Just as an example, uh, if you were to bring, um, at this point, uh, 300 black and brown individuals into a room, uh, one of them uh, has succumbed to the coronavirus uh, vaccine. They, they've lost their life. And, and there's hardly anyone, at least that I know, that has not, doesn't know someone who's been touched. So this has been a profound impact. And not only the impact on hospitalizations and deaths, but also we're beginning to recognize and see some of the longer term complications in survivors. Uh, they're, they're called long haulers. In other words, um, someone who has recovered from COVID, but is still uh, uh, feeling the consequences of that infection more than three months out. Uh, Also, we're beginning to see some autoimmune impacts. There was a young man who, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a basketball player on on the Florida State basketball team, who collapsed on the court from a condition called myocarditis which is an inflammation of the heart muscle, a known consequence of having coronavirus. He, as a young person, um, uh, was able to um, um, uh, deal with the acute coronavirus uh, um, infection, but had this complication some months later. So, Judge, it's not just the immediate impact, but the longer-term impacts that I'm concerned about. Um, We are still, in fact, um, here in the state of Maryland, across the United States, we are experiencing a surge uh, that is higher, higher than the surge that we realized back in the spring. And uh, thank
0: you. Uh, And Dr. Askew, I know you've been at the forefront of uh, this whole COVID-19 impact in Prince George's County. Uh, You have any thoughts or reflections on that?
2: Absolutely, Judge. You know, and I wrote about this in a in in an op-ed piece. I think it was back in, wow, it was it was toward the beginning. So I think this was back in April, and it was when everybody was raising a uh, raising concern and surprise that Black and Brown people were being impacted more by 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 the pandemic uh, than others. And I I basically wrote, uh, "Why are you surprised? I'm not surprised. We know from history. We know from uh, pandemics, epidemics, national disasters, those communities that are having the most difficulties, the the most challenges with social, economic and health challenges before the event are going to be the ones that are going to be impacted most during the event and are going to be the ones who suffer most coming out of the event. So... This this idea that people were surprised was uh, what, it, I wouldn't say it angered me. It just it, it, I just felt like I needed to point out that um, you know if, it, it's it's not a, it's not really a surprise given what we know about about the, uh, our history in this in this country. And one of the things that we're challenged with here in the county, again, when we talk about social determinants of health, and you know people ask the question, well, why? was Prince George's the epicenter uh, of of the pandemic. And there are a few reasons, and some of the things that we found were actually quite surprising. We're actually the gateway uh, to the national capital region. And when I say that, I mean, we have commuter rail, we have fast rail, we have three airports surrounding us, we have uh, Montgomery County, uh, DC, Virginia, all places also where our folks go to work a significant number of our folks go 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 outside of the county to work, and they're folks in quote unquote essential work, essential jobs. So those jobs stayed open. What we found was that we actually had the most imported cases of COVID um, of, of any county uh, in the uh, in the in the state. So one of our challenges uh, has been, continues to be, and I think this goes beyond COVID, is is changing the narrative. Right. We have to take control of the narrative. If, if someone else tells our story, they're going to tell it in a way that doesn't accurately reflect what's happened. When you report in a, in a journal article in, in Medicine that black people are more likely to uh, have a heart attack um due to cardiovascular disease, um, well, actually, what you should be writing is black people are more are, are more likely to be exposed to social determinants that will cause cardiovascular disease, leading them to suffer more uh, from cardiovascular cardio cardiovascular events. And we have to make sure that again, when we're sort of taking control of the narrative, that we talk about our black and brown people in a way that talks about aspirations, talks about uh, not, not, not our, our our deficits, but our but our but our but our quality attributes. Um, you know, nobody wants to live in poverty. Right? And that's what people would want you to think, that people wanna live in poverty. People are lazy, people don't wanna. No, that's not true at all. We have the same aspirations as any, as any, even even more. We want our children to be successful. We want our children to graduate high school, go on to college, live successful lives, have children, and be able to buy, you know, a little bit of a house and a, and a car, you know, and live that American dream. So that's, you know, our narrative, just like everyone else's narrative. And if we can c- control that, uh, so that people can't say, "Well, it's your own fault." It's not, you know, blaming the victim has been is a classic, uh, a classic tool for keeping people oppressed uh, and disenfranchised. And we have to change
0: that narrative. And 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 Dr. Wright, uh, how do we uh, improve and address the the surge, the increase in numbers of COVID nineteen in our community, in the Black and Brown community? How how do we address it and improve
1: it? Well, Judge, I will say we've learned a lot. We have learned a lot over the past year. We are applying those lessons learned in the actual clinical care of those impacted um, in the hospital setting. Uh, We have uh, new therapies. Um, But what we haven't talked about yet, Judge, is the vaccine. And we're a community across the country, if not around the world, that is obviously disproportionately impacted. And the only way to end this pandemic is to protect ourselves, protect our families, protect our communities. And uh, we have had, Judge, many discussions about what we need to do in the um, acute moment as we're dealing with the pandemic surge. But here we have a opportunity as a people, to participate in an unprecedented public health um, uh, event that is—and I I, I can't overstate how huge this is—to have the opportunity to participate directly in the ending of a pandemic. It's been a hundred years since the world has faced a pandemic of this like and uh, uh, the opportunity for us to really um, participate in a way that protects us and, and, and keeps us from, from having this kind of disproportionate impact is something I, I want to stress. And one thing, Judge, I want to just um, mention, because we are in the Alex Williams, Jr. Center, that is part of an academic community. Dr. Askew mentioned something that's very important race has been misused by academics throughout the course of history uh, as a biologic construct. Dr. Askew said, uh, you can find a boatload of articles that say black and brown people have cardiovascular disease at this rate compared to white people. Race is a social construct. It is not a biologic construct in order to authentically examine health disparities, you have to go back into those determinants. Racism is a determinant of health, and uh, we cannot continue to build science on this uh, misconstruct that race is a biologic uh, element. We have to dig down into the contributors.
0: I would ask uh, uh, the listeners to stay with us. Uh, We're going to take a brief uh, break, and this is an important area. We're talking about health disparities in Black and brown communities. We'll be back with our two guests uh, in a minute. The United States is home to stark and persistent racial disparities in health coverage, chronic health conditions, mental health, and mortality. These disparities are not a result of individual or group behavior, but decades of systematic inequality in American economic, housing, and healthcare systems. Today, we will highlight some of the most persistent inequities facing Americans of color. Point number one. Afro-Americans have the highest mortality rate for all cancer combined compared with any other racial and ethnic group. Number two, there are 11 infant deaths per 1,000 live births among Black Americans. This is almost twice the national average of 5.8 infant deaths per 1,000 live births. Point number three, in 2017, 16.1% of Hispanics were uninsured compared with 5.9% of non-Hispanic whites. Point number four, Asian Americans are 40% more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes than non-Hispanic white Americans. They are also more likely to be diagnosed with end-stage renal disease. Point number five. In 2018, 6.3% of Asian American adults received mental health services, compared with 18.6% of non-Hispanic white adults. Point number six. 21.5% of Hispanic adults over age 20 have been diagnosed with diabetes, compared with 13% of white adults over age 20. The final point. In 2017, 42% of African American adults over age 20 suffer from hypertension, compared with 28.7% of non-Hispanic white adults. Alleviating health disparities will require a deliberate and sustained effort to address social determinants of health, such as poverty, segregation, environmental deprivation, and racial discrimination. Welcome back to Perspectives on Justice. We have a very important episode today we're talking about, and that's health disparities in black and brown communities. Uh, My two guests today would be uh, Dr. Joseph Wright, uh, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of University of Berlin Capital Region Health. And we also have with us Dr. George Askew, the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Health, Human Services, and Education in Prince George's County, Maryland. Now, uh, gentlemen, I want to uh, talk down about the inequity of care consistent with uh, children. And, uh, Doctor, ask you uh, how are children uh, affected in general by this uh, health disparities crisis we have.
2: I think uh, you know. I'll sort of go to uh, our current situation. Um, you know what we're seeing revealed during the pandemic is that our children are suffering uh, at a greater level with respect to uh, behavioral, social, and behavioral problems uh, coming out uh, of the uh, of the pandemic. Lack of access to appropriate um, and, and adequate uh, and adequate care. Um, again, part of the the uh, the ongoing historical lack of of resource uh, for children uh, and families. You know, there was a time when uh, w- one of my previous jobs, I was uh, in charge of uh, health and disability services in the Head Start Bureau. So, basically, had the uh, opportunity to be in charge of the health and well being of you know a one, 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 one million uh, Head Start children. And what you found was that you, the Head Start program. Uh, barely touched the tip of the iceberg with respect to resources for early education and care uh, for, uh, for children in need in the country. And again, many of those children being, being black and brown children. Um, I, the, the, uh, you know, I spent a lot of my time in advocacy uh, for kids. Again, trying to get them the kinds of social services, health services that they need to thrive. And the biggest problem uh, i found is that uh, children, don't, uh, children don't have a voice. So we have to speak up for them and children don't vote. Uh, so uh, when, when push comes to shove, uh, I've never seen a, a legislator run on a ticket of, is it good for children? That's all you have to say. You, you get my vote. If you stand up and you say, I don't care what the topic is, you tell me if, if it's about transportation, if it's about housing, is, if, if it's about access to foods, the first question I'm going to ask is, this is this good for children? No one asks that question first and foremost. Um, and until we, get, we turn that corner, uh, children getting access to services and uh, the things that they need are going continue, to um, continue to be uh, a challenge.
0: Uh, Dr. Wright, similar to Dr. Askew's experience with uh, children, I believe you also served a stint of your career at Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. You have any thoughts about the impact of this uh, virus on children?
1: Yeah. Well, well, first of all, let me just state uh, from uh, the uh, lens of the virus itself has a differential impact on children. There, there is a a a still uh, poorly understood component of the coronavirus um, uh, infection that produces a multi-system inflammation in children. And that is uh, uh, something that uh, is differentially experienced by children across the country. We're still trying to understand it, but I do want to also reference what Dr. Askew Talked about the the um, distance learning and the virtual learning that children have been subjected to over the course of the past year. Uh, I am concerned about that impact on the developing brain. We know that uh, children are in a state of um, of what we call neuroplasticity. They're 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 very flexible, soaking up knowledge. And uh, uh, whether that knowledge is as as uh, effectively or efficiently transmitted uh, virtually with distance learning and um, not being able to be in a classroom remains to be seen. I'm I'm concerned about that impact uh, uh, on kids in particular.
0: All right. Uh, We're going to get to uh, the vaccine shortly, but I have a couple of other questions I want to ask you all to give your thoughts on. Uh, One, of course, would be uh, food desserts and the uh, nutritional Options that are important for brown and uh, black communities uh, in this country. You all have any thoughts, or Doctor Askew, you have any thoughts on the effect of food uh, desserts on health disparities and? any type of uh, affordable nutritional options that uh, could be helpful.
2: Absolutely. Well, well clearly, um, if you're going to—if if you're a family uh, facing economic str- struggles, social struggles, and you're trying to feed your family, you are going to go for the cheapest option that delivers high calories. So you feel full and, um, and you feel satisfied from a hunger standpoint. But it may not be, and, and most likely won't be the most nutritious um, meal possible, um, but it will be inexpensive and, as I said, fill it. We have a lot of that available. Uh, in Prince George's County. And our challenge, and the county executive came in with this being one of her priorities, is to increase the number and availability of healthy food options. So she's making investments uh, in supermarkets that uh, are to open in neighborhoods that carry a wide variety of healthy foods, um, making sure that we support those folks who wanna come into the county um, and, and, and and invest um, in, in, such, uh, in such food options. Um, talking just recently, Actually, to a group of folks who are um, veterans who are interested in an in, in aquaculture and, and growing food in neighborhoods and helping the community uh, source their own food and food options. So we're not, um, you know, we're not leaving any stone unturned uh, when it comes to trying to bring in more healthy food options, um, getting rid of, uh, of, of the food deserts that we have here um, in Prince George's County. Again, it's an uphill challenge. It's many years that we're fighting that fighting against, but we've got an administration um, that has, again, has made this uh, a priority with respect to economic development and health and human services development.
0: All right. Uh, Dr. Wright, uh, you have any thoughts on uh, a better diets, uh, affordable nutritional options, and yeah. food desserts?
1: You know, I, I, I will just take the flip side of that, Judge, um, that uh, with caloric intake, you need exercise, you need physical activity to counteract uh, those uh, those uh, um, those calories that are being taken in, and of course during the pandemic, what has occurred? Uh, we've all been inside. We have not had the opportunity to really get out and move. And and one of the things that I have certainly appreciated uh, in my thirty years in Prince George's County is the emphasis on on op- on on park and planning and open space. And I certainly hope that we can get back to, on the other side of this pandemic, folks getting out and moving and really um, uh, counteracting that uh, caloric intake, that unhealthy caloric intake that Dr. Askew has referenced.
0: All right. Uh, Now, Dr. Wright, uh, staying with you for a second, you mentioned in your article a racial socialization. Uh, Can you uh, briefly describe what is that? Uh, what effect does
1: that have on disparities? Sure. And, and, and Judge, the, it, this gets back to understanding our history and making sure that children in particular are socialized to the realities of, of, of race relations in this country. And it does require us as parents and um, those of us who are uh, mentoring young people to be clear about that history because as children evolve and 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 move out into the world in particular school they're going to be confronted with everything that we've been talking about here these last 45 minutes and if there is no frame of reference for young children uh particularly young children of color racial socialization is important for all children let me be clear not just children of color but particularly for Uh, Children, even in uh, entering preschool, need to have a socialization, a racial socialization. Uh, Another tool that we talk about in the article is cultural pride reinforcement, so that children are proud of their heritage, they know their heritage, are proud of it. It's important to build this in. And again, Dr. Askew and I are pediatricians. This is what we build in to what we call anticipatory guidance for parents how we need to be addressing this with children.
0: Dr. Askew, do you have any thoughts on this uh, issue of racial socialization? Sure, I'll I'll tell you a story. My son called me
2: out on this. Um, He's a brilliant young man, um, went to uh, public school in Tacoma Park here in Maryland, and then uh, later um, private school in DC, and uh, went on to Harvard, came home one semester, said to me, why didn't they ever teach us about the Black Panthers? The Black Panthers were putting together clinics, feeding people, doing all kinds of terrific things in the community, but I never learned about that. Why did I have to wait till I was in college to, to hear these stories and to know this? And I felt like I had not done my job, to be honest with you, right? If he's coming back and he's saying, well, he's, he's putting it on the school system, but you know that's on me. That's that, you know, that that making sure that he knew those stories, knew the books to read that might not be the books that they're reading in school. And for me to put pressure on the schools, went to good schools, um, but didn't get those stories. So, you know, in terms of socialization, I think, you know, again, that's that's kind of my story that I I keep in the back of my mind to remind me Um, some point someday I'm going to have grandchildren, I think. um, And I'm not going to forget with them.
0: Uh, Wonderful. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Dr. Joseph Wright, Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of University of Maryland Capital Region Health, and also Dr. George Askew, the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Health, Human Services, and Education in Prince George's County. Uh, I want to ask you both uh, an issue that's been, been bothering me for a long time, And that's uh, seemingly a lack of access to uh, family physicians and the number of medical physicians and professionals uh, in our communities. And I don't know whether we need more young people to get into the profession of medicine. I just don't know. So I really would like to get your thoughts on how we can get uh, more and better access of medical services in our communities. Uh, Dr. Wright, you want to start us off?
1: Yes, this is a a complex um, uh, question, Judge. I I will um, uh, share my experience uh, before joining Capital Region Health. I I was the chairman of pediatrics at Howard University College of Medicine. And and in that role, I had an opportunity to really interface uh, with uh, the next generation, the students coming through and uh, and And uh, involved in their selection of specialty to train in. and And certainly, um, what I'm going to be speaking about is the reality of the economics of medicine. And I found that uh, very wonderful and capable, bright students who would be excellent primary care physicians, practicing, internal medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, obstetrics, and gynecology, were selectively choosing subspecialties that were higher remuneration, um, higher income specialties, to deal with the indebtedness that uh, a a, a medical education was leaving them with. And these these were, this was a calculus based on economics, as opposed to uh, what the students may uh, have been wanted to actually do. And that troubled me. That troubled me that that decision-making, uh, that was part of that decision-making. I will share with you very quickly that uh, I, I was fortunate to come through at a time where the, uh, there was a, a federal program that was designed to create a pipeline of primary care physicians and designed to put physicians in the community I was able to practice pediatrics for the first four years of my career in my home community in Brooklyn, New York, because of the support of that program. And um, that was under a different time, a different administration, but we need to get back to supporting and even subsidizing primary care uh, specialties, uh, particularly in communities where there is a dearth of them. So I'll let Dr. Askew uh, provide his perspective on that question.
0: Yes, so Dr. Askew, uh, do we have enough uh, uh, family physicians, uh, primary physicians in uh, our community? Uh,
2: the, the simple answer to that is no. Um, and, and as Dr., Dr. Wright said, it's, it's a complicated um, equation. I, 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 like him, um, uh, got my start in academia um, in in Boston, uh, with with a subsidized program that paid back part of my loans um, uh, as an academician, so I could be in a, you know an assistant professor, uh, and um, part of my loan would, would get get paid back. Otherwise. I would have had to pick potentially some other more lucrative, um, lucrative uh, work, and not be able to work in the, you know, in the in the inner city uh, in Boston. What we have here, uh, you know, speak to my experience here in Prince George's County. You know, I arrived here a couple of years ago and did a review of all of the studies that have been done here in Prince George's County. And there's, there's, I think at this point we're getting to where we have, I think, a half a dozen studies where people are brought in, review what's needed. And what always comes up is there's a dearth of primary care uh, and prevention medicine type uh, practices here uh, in the county. You know, you have to do multiple things to attract folks. First of all, you have to make it affordable for them to have a practice um, in in a, in a community, and then and then you have to give them the resources around them that. Um, uh, that make them feel like it's a good investment to live there. You want good schools. You want access to quality social services. You want you know a nice restaurant here and there um, to go to, and and I think. Um, it's this, you know. I certainly know that this administration has recognized that that it's not just a matter of saying, well, we're going to, you know, pay pay doctors and bring them here, and they're going to come. You know, there are a lot of people who are looking for doctors. There are a lot of people who are looking for nurses and nurse practitioners and other primary care folks to help build uh, the primary care infrastructure. We have to give them, you know, the ability to make a living, but also to make a living in a place where they feel like I want to be here. Prince uh, Prince George's is is a a gem, and I think a an uh, an unknown gem uh, to many people. I love living here. I know all the wonderful things that are here, and we're trying to do our best um, uh, uh, to to make sure that the rest of the world knows that. And I know the county executive, uh, and a lot of our folks in commerce and our economic development team are doing those things again because it's it's a complicated it's a complicated algorithm to get more primary care physicians into and. and wouldn't just say physicians. Physicians, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, uh, all those folks that make up a primary care
0: system. Wonderful. Okay. Well, we have uh, time for just a couple more questions. Uh, Let's get to the vaccine. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Again, uh, uh, Dr. Wright, and then I'm going to ask, again, Dr. Askew to address it. I've heard both of you talk about the vaccine and the disparate uh, impact it may have on our people, sometimes from an attitude standpoint. So can you talk to us about the vaccine?
1: Yes, uh, let let me address, and I know Dr. Askew will as well, uh, just a couple of frequently asked questions by the community to uh, take advantage of this conversation to allay some concerns. The vaccine cannot give you COVID. Let me restate that. The vaccine cannot scientifically confer COVID. The reason for that is that the vaccine does not contain any elements of the virus itself in its its construction. And so I just want to state that unequivocally, Judge. That is a question that we are frequently asked. Uh, To your point that around you, you're referring to vaccine hesitancy is what we call it. And I think we have to be very transparent and very receptive to the reasons that people may have vaccine hesitancy. And this gets to more than just ask, answering uh, frequently asked scientific questions. This gets to more than just presenting town halls. You really have to uh, have um, uh, what I call cultural humility to be able to converse with someone and understand why they're concerned about, uh, for instance, the vaccine as relates to the Tuskegee experiment. Take the time to explain that the Tuskegee experiment involved the withholding of therapy to African-American men, whereas the vaccine provides us an opportunity to receive a therapy and be a part of a solution. So Judge, I, I really wanna stress that for our folks, uh, it, it, this these are one-on-one conversations. These are personal conversations that need to happen. We need champions in the community who can tell a story about them receiving the vaccine. And uh, so I, I really um, uh, am very optimistic that as we have uh, individuals who can champion the cause of uh, vaccination to end COVID-19 that we will see the kind of uptake that we require.
0: Uh, Dr. Askew, you have any thoughts on the uh, implementation of the vaccine in our community?
2: Yeah, I will, I will echo uh, a bit of what, what, uh, what Dr. Wright said. Um, we'll also talk about a couple of other uh, myths. One, folks are concerned that the vaccine changes their DNA. That is also uh, an untruth. That is not what happens um, with, with the vaccine. And there are no computer chips or tracking devices or anything like that, that, are go, that that's going into the, to, to the vaccine. And believe it or not, we do get those kinds of questions and get them actually fairly, um, fairly regularly. Um, and um, the, um, one of the, uh, again, other challenges that we're working, this is a historical distrust of government. Among black uh, black and brown people, um, you know, the, when I tell this story, I, I often have a, a picture where it's me in the middle, standing in front of uh, three men. One is my father, George Andrew Askew Jr. The other is my grandfather, George Andrew Askew Sr. And then the third person, the, for, the 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 third person around me is my 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 great grandfather, uh, Noah, uh, the Reverend Noah Askew. And the Reverend Noah Askew was a son of a slave. And I was, at the time when, you know, in this picture, six or seven years old, I have a history of black men who've been in the struggle, who've been oppressed, who've worked against, um, you know, the, the, who struggled against the oppression of growing up a black man in this country, all the way through from slavery. Um, and none of them ever, uh, in their conversations with me, said, you know what, trust your government. They're always looking out for you. Um, none of them ever said to me, um, you know, don't be afraid of whatever the government is trying to sell you, inject into you, or, or get you to take. Um, so I know that there are, that history is similar for many other folks um, in this country, in this state, uh, and in this county. So we have to fight ag- against that. We're at the point where the country has made a bit of a shift when it comes to the vaccine. They're saying at the highest levels, we want people in disenfranchised communities, folks who are suffering the most significant social, economic and health challenges to be, the, be in front of the line. Now, people who hear that, who've never been in the front of the line, all of a sudden being told in front of the line, they're wondering, are we the canary in the coal mine? Are we the experiment here? No, this is the country taking a limited resource and for once, taking that limited resource and identifying intentionally the folks who need to get it most. So uh, part of our challenge is getting folks to, to understand that. I think what Dr. Wright has said is, is exactly right. Um, you know, I can get on TV and you can see me getting my shot, um, but, but, but I'm part of that system. You know, people will just say, well, you know, you, you, you know you, you're part of that, you're part of government. I, you, why, you, just, you just believe what they tell you. But if it's other influencers, pastors, um, your neighbor, uh, other, you know, elected officials um, who people have put their trust in and gave them their vote, who get out there, get the vaccine and say, you know what? I had the vaccine and I did it because I love my community. I love Prince George's County. I want to take care of you. I want to take care of myself. The only way we're going to come through this pandemic, the only way we're going to come through this pandemic right now is if we get as many people vaccinated as possible. We're talking about 65 of the of the population of Prince George's County, with a two dose vaccine. That's like 1.2 million doses of vaccine that we have to get into folks to get beyond uh, get beyond this this pandemic. So it's a great challenge, and I you know I strongly encourage my uh, our Black and Brown residents to, to to take up the challenge of being proud to be protected and get the vaccine when their turn comes up.
0: This is uh, such uh, an important area, and we've just touched the surface. We're going to have to have both of you back because there's so much more to cover. I really want to ask a question about violence and shootings and that impact on disparities in health care, but our time is up now. So I want to thank uh, again uh, uh, Dr. Joseph Wright, Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Capital Region, University of Maryland System, and also Dr. George Askew, the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Health, Human Services, and Education in Prince George's County. Thank you both, and I thank my listeners for, again, tuning in on Perspectives on Justice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. And so we have it. Let me conclude by saying health disparities are real and very prevalent mostly in Black and brown communities. It takes commitment, dedication, and an effort to address these disparities, including breaking the myths associated with the vaccine. I want to thank my guests, uh, Dr. Joseph Wright and Dr. George Askew, two experts in the area of disparities in health. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Perspectives on Justice. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, be sure to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr. Until next time.